Hi, this is Petra, Emilia, Rafael, Sophie, and Patricia. And we are an international group of MA students on the Photography and Society course at the Royal Academy of Arts in The Hague. And this is Photography and Society, the podcast, created in response to the Undisciplining Photography Symposium. Welcome along and thanks for listening. This episode is about persons and structures. My name is Emmy, which is short for Emilia, and I will be your host for today. Before we get deeper into the topic, I would like to invite you to listen to Photography on the Run. Photography on the Run. In Photography on the Run, we ask people to describe one photograph that has to do with the topic of the episode. Later on, I will tell you more about the image, and if you want, you can check it on our Instagram or on Undisciplining Photography Symposium website. Have fun! Photography on the run. So I see little girls. I think they're from the school, from the same school. I see several feet, I presume girls. And they are from like Sampo private school maybe because they have the same uniforms. Presumably girls could, could be guys, I don't know, maybe. It's 21st century, so I don't know. <laughs> and they're looking somewhere. There is like a fence, so maybe they're looking and trains coming. But then the fence look a bit like a zoo or like something that keeps an animal out of the people. It's quite nostalgic for some reason. I have a little sister, so I immediately think of her. These people standing all in line and looking somewhere, they're like saying bye to someone, maybe to their parents going to the war or I don't know. Kind of reminds me of my like young years uh, when we were just children running around looking at stuff, not really care about anything. I'm thinking of crocodiles swimming in murky water. Youth. Being young, young enough to not worry. Because why is this photograph photographing legs of girls? <laughs> Their all attention is towards somewhere. So I think something interesting is happening there. So I'm just like, what is it? I also want to see it, but all I'm seeing is just legs of girls. Some of them are sleeping, some of them are swimming, and you could see their little snout staying above the water. It reminds me of those days when I didn't have to worry about money or anything. I could pretty much worry about playing and making friends and discover who I am. And yeah, I think that's what I see. Dear listener, this episode is about persons and structures. We all live and function within bigger or smaller structures and systems. Sometimes we conform to them, question them, or actively fight against them. How is a person affected by structures and systems? How can we effectively challenge and reconstruct them? What is the role of photography in it? In this episode, I talk with Carolina Gembara. I met Carolina during Sputnik mentoring program, where she was, and is, one of the fantastic mentors. She is a member of Sputnik Photography Collective and a PhD student at the University of Social and Human Sciences, SWPS, in Warsaw. Before returning to Warsaw, now Berlin, Karolina spent many years in Delhi, India, where she produced some of her great photographic work. Her interests revolve around issues of home, belonging, migration, changing lands and identities. Recently, she has also focused on political situation in her and mine home country, Poland. Karolina is a photographer, academic, great thinker, an activist and a cat lover. I hope you'll enjoy this talk as much as I enjoyed talking and listening to Karolina. What keeps you busy recently? Mm, resting a little bit, maybe relaxing, maybe taking some break from everything that happened last year in Poland, because currently I'm in Berlin. I oh, came wow. here for okay. just uh, two months to see how it goes, how it feels, but um, I'm staying for now. <laughs> and this year uh, is uh, a bit different than the previous one when I was 
seriously busy with projects and deadlines and delivering and then reporting. So this year I'm focusing more on teaching and planning what to do next. Um, yeah. Are you teaching in Berlin? No, I brought my online work here and I teach right now at three places. One is the Sputnik Photos Mentoring Program where I'm a mentor. I, and I also uh, teach at the Warsaw School of Photography. I teach documentary photography over there. And uh, recently I also had a seminar uh, for Pedagogical Academy in Warsaw uh, and uh -huh. it's uh, art department where I'm teaching um, participatory art. And that's, um, that's only partially about photography, but it's great. That sounds really interesting. I found your essay, it's called Between Emancipation and Repression mm -hmm. on the Agency of Photography. And I found mm -hmm. that extremely interesting. It was a very rich mm -hmm. read. Uh, first of all, I would like to ask, did this essay come about as a part of the um, archive of public protests? Yes, that was a commission from the archive. And I wrote that especially for them. Um, but it's also a, a part, or let's say, um, a, a little summary of some of the ideas that I would already put into my uh, doctoral dissertation. So somehow I think it collects those thoughts and, and, and you know, speaks in general about the, the agency of images. And in my dissertation, I was focusing on the, uh, on the agency of images of the protest. So, uh, so that seemed like a great, you know, place to put that essay on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, oh God, we kind of got straight to the point before, <laughs> before getting to the protest. Uh, I wanted to ask you first about Berlin. How did you end there? And it's funny because I was going to ask you about Warsaw and stuff. I have plenty to say about Warsaw still. It comes back in my nightmares. So yes. So what I'm doing in Berlin, it's a personal thing. My boyfriend lives here and uh, in the pandemic, it was extremely difficult to travel. And since the first half of the year somehow is more laid back for me, I thought I would just move and take all my work that is online anyway. Uh, so that's how I ended up here. But I, I do travel back to Warsaw, which is not easy at the moment with the quarantine and tests and everything. But it uh, somehow created some kind of a buffer emotionally, I think, between what's happening over there and vacation almost mood right mm -hmm. here. <laughs> and do yeah. you think it's helpful being away from what's going on there? I must say that to some extent, when I was planning this trip, I felt a little guilty, you know, uh, that I'm abandoning some of the activities, some of the uh, projects I've been somehow engaged with. And, um, it's probably not a very healthy reflection, but I felt like I need to be there to, to worry with other people about the situation and to, to read the news, you know, to, to uh, react to it and mm. to feel, you know, that tension, anxiety. And this is like the only way I can contribute and show some solidarity with, with people. And, um, like I said, I think that was not a healthy approach. The guilt is somehow still, you know, here when I'm like far away from Warsaw uh, and I'm asked to talk about the protest or talk about the engagement of photographers and to comment on agency and so on. And I'm doing that from a distance. So, so sometimes I'm, you know, I, I feel that maybe I'm not the right person to do that, that I should be in the middle of, that action and and also to feel all the anxiety and you know stress and everything i was going through in warsaw but yeah maybe if i continued being there and feeling all the stuff i was feeling for for the past couple of years in warsaw maybe i wouldn't go far with all of that so mm. it turns out probably that this is a um, a good idea to take a step back Mm. Um, and to get a perspective. 
I know what you're talking about. I, mm -hmm. I have that guilt mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. and I got accepted to the university in The mm -hmm. Hague uh, during the election, actually last year. And some of my friends were laughing that they were all saying that they will immigrate if this happens. But of course, they were kind of laughingly saying this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was actually the person who immigrated. But it was very difficult. I had I had situations during the the anti-abortion march in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. I remember it was so emotional to be away from this. Mm -hmm. And I came to the classroom. And people were like saying how sorry they are for me and like sending me their support, which was fantastic. But I felt, yeah, I felt very, it was a very strange feeling. I think a lot of guilt was involved mm -hmm. that I'm kind mm -hmm. of not there. It's a difficult, difficult thing. I think, you know, being part of that uh, protest in October was a great thing. You know, the reason why we came to the street and the reason why we we protested and we protested in a pretty radical way. But the things that happened, motivation, the determination, the, uh, the solidarity and and just being together, that energy that happened, you know, being part of that and, and shouting and, you know, it's a, it's an amazing feeling because you're not alone in that desperation, <laughs> you know, so if there's anything positive, it's, it's like, it's, it's that probably the sense of being together in that shit and, and, and that you're literally not alone with your, with your feelings, with your anger, with your fear um with how much you're pissed off about the situation and also you know for me as a photographer and an academic and a researcher it was extremely interesting to observe like what's going on what's emerging from this protest all the visual signs all the ideas the the the, the sound the choreography the whole performance of the protest and all the new ideas where extremely interesting to observe to watch and you know some of these gestures and symbols they come from different places in the world i had a talk recently with meg handler who's a photographer she photographed many protests in the past in the us and we talk about the uh, the symbol of the you know the cloth hanger that actually was very popular as a as a symbol of the protest in the United States in the 90s when they were trying to protest the abortion ban. So, you know, that's something that's present and we also use that. But in the same time, we came up with so many new things, you know, starting with the umbrellas and the, the red bolt by Ola Yashinovska and then the uh, archive of the public protest that we created later came up with the newspaper. So there are so many new elements that are um, emerging from, from this movement. So in, in a way, you know, there are so many positive outcomes. Still, you know, the situation is when it comes to the abortion ban. I mean, I mean, you know, the situation like this, there's almost no way to get an abortion in Poland at the moment. That law is somehow in power right now. So there's a lot still to fight for, and there are some tensions in this whole movement inside. It's not looking great, but I must say that what happened in October last year, and what's still happening, because we don't have the mass protests at the moment, but there are tiny little initiatives, and the photographers in the archive of the public protests get to see a lot of these events. They are maybe not very spectacular, but the photographers get information, like sometimes a very secret information about something that is about to happen the next day. And the presence of the media or, or just simply photographers are very important to the activists. So there's a lot going on. And I also started a little research on uh, the situation in the small towns, which is very interesting because protesting in a small town in Poland and like provincial centers is, uh, is, is a very different thing. You don't get the protection of the anonymous crowd. Whatever you say or whatever you do gets noticed. And these people that observe you, whether they're just envirs or like or police, they are most probably your neighbors or they teach your kids sometimes or, or, you know, like it's all connected. 
And there are so many factors that make protesting or being active politically in a small town dangerous. But since 2016, since we started the black protest, the situation became a little bit more positive, let's say. There are more and more brave, very active uh, women who start to join the local structures of this women's strike, or they just do it on their own. And even the language, which used to be very conservative, the language of the protests in those small towns where like cursing was not an option. Now it's even changing and it's, it's getting more radical. So I think looking at what's happening in those small towns in Poland is also looking at the feminism in Poland in, in general in the recent years. This is a great case study, I think, for analyzing the, the, the changes. That's super interesting. Do you think, because you talk about all the symbols that came about, uh, and of course the hunger, like you mentioned earlier, that's like a very old uh, symbol, isn't it? But I, I read something you read about the language, which you now mentioned mm -hmm. as well. And I think it was really interesting because it was a super provocative thing and it was a difficult discussion to have with people, even with my own relatives, to see these Protestants carrying these huge signs with these very aggressive words. But I think it had a very interesting link to feminism as well. Yeah, how, how, would, you, how would you place the language in that? Could you, could you say more about that? Um, I think it didn't come like from nowhere. Um, it is true that the liberals and you know the the left would you know somehow always restrain themselves. They would try to justify the language that is the language of a dialogue, let's say, or more polite to come to, to present themselves as the people of culture, let's say, or the people of the reason. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you know, and this is not only a Polish situation, this has not been working all those years. Whenever we fight for something, you know, asking politely never really brought much. <laughs> and uh, in, in the case of Poland, a couple of years ago, there were already these words written, sprayed on walls. Mm. Uh, the, if I might quote, the wypierdalać thing, was already expressed a couple of times and get a fuck out of here also mm -hmm. uh, in the context of the government, the, the, the right-wing politicians. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that kind of language was already somehow criticized. You know, this is so rude. We are better than this. And then, I'm sure you remember last year, there were a couple of events organized and provoked by the LGBT community activists who actually showed a lot of bravery and non-conformism and, and they, they hang the rainbow flags in, in a couple of places, including some uh, sculptures, monuments, even the churches. And they also organized a lot of protests against those pro-life tracks driving around Warsaw and like being just just spreading the message about killing babies and and you know are the pro pro-life tracks just for the information they're like privately sponsored tracks with huge billboards basically anti-abortion billboards are they privately sponsored do you know Yes, most of these social campaigns that have uh, have been happening uh, now in Poland, including the massive billboard campaign, have been sponsored by private business. But people who run this business or people who own the business are just like politically, ideologically very much on the right side. I think this has been set up this way to, to make it look like it's not the government, but their supporters. I've read somewhere that you don't take photographs on the protests. I would mm -hmm. be interested to hear more about that. And then I'm also interested in what do you think is the role of photography on the protests? I don't, <laughs> because um, I don't think I'm very good at this. I've never uh, really been a photo reporter, you know, photojournalist. I like watching things and just observing and taking my time. 
and I'm definitely not good at finding a good spot and, and running somewhere and like being fast and, and so on. So I just decided since there's so many great photographers right now, not only in the archive of the public protest, but also in other agencies, many amateur photographers and also in smaller towns who are really doing a great job. So I don't think my images would change <laughs> much here. And maybe that just gives me more space to, to analyze them, to look at them critically and to take a step back. And since this is not my thing that I'm commenting on, you know, and, and I can maybe, maybe, maybe it's not working, but like, that's what I imagine that, you know, writing about these images is, is probably easier when I'm not really involved in the process of making them. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the role of the photographer at the protest, a few years ago when the protest started, you know, and we saw a significant raise in the, in the, in the number of protests, uh, like over just a couple of months since 2015, when, uh, peace, the right-wing populist government took power, there've been like eight times more protests registered in the capital city of Warsaw than before. So it's a fact and it's a sociological phenomena. Um, and, uh, before that, you know, we really didn't have like any massive mass protests happening after the collapse of the communism. There were a couple of anti-abortion uh, marches already in 1989, mm. which is something that people don't really know, uh, or, you know, they don't remember that. But already then there was a, there was a plan to, to make the abortion law, which was quite liberal in, in during the communism, uh, more, uh, restrictive. So women took to the streets and there are a couple of really interesting images from that time. And as you know, you know, during communism, there were those occurrences of workers, laborers, protests, there was the solidarity movement but they were somehow the materialistic protest that's how you name in sociology when people demand because of the restriction of the system the political system they suffer from different things the lack of resources or let's say they need raises they they are against growing prices and so on of course in the background there is the ideology but very often the first reason for people to go to the street would be just the material condition, you know, the financial condition, which was quite terrible back then. Mm -hmm. So what we observe right now in Poland and everywhere else in the world is the so-called non-materialistic or post-materialistic protest mm -hmm. where people fight for value or, or, you know, things that are somehow important to them because also the situation is different, like the global fight for the, again, against climate change. This is less materialistic, maybe somehow more abstract, but also a very real threat. So somehow the, uh, some of the reasons and of course methods have changed over the years. So, uh, coming back to the role, you know, I think first of all, and that's something I, I very much agree with the sociologist Rafał Drozdowski from the Poznan university that the, the first role of like anybody who's involved in, or anybody that observes, not only researchers thing, but also, you know, could be artists or activists is to document, just to gather the information. And that's also some activity that is very important any time human rights are being abused or the regime is acting too much or the war or atrocity, you know, it's, mm. it's super important to collect the, the data to collect the facts, to be able to like, get ready to prepare yourself for the future in the sense that maybe there will be a trial, maybe there will be mm -hmm. some justice, you know, brought based on the, the facts that people collect. So mm -hmm. I think this is a very natural, uh, reaction if, if, if there's some tension or injustice happening. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that what you're saying, everything makes me think I've read somewhere, you might probably remember better than I do, that looking is just a political act in that sense, that kind of what it makes me think of. But I was also thinking in your essay, you're writing about Azulay as well and about photography as an event. And I really like this theory. And I was wondering if you could tell more about that. 
That was the, the main theory I was planning to use in my uh, PhD because, you know, it takes you away from these like talks and, and, and thoughts about photography as a, just an aesthetical object. That's something that does not interest me much. I would say uh, and agree with Azulay that photography, it's as much as, you know, it's, it's an event in the sense that uh, it includes so many factors and people and objects and situations. And, and it's not only what's happening in that moment when the picture is taken or when it's published. There are so many possibilities later to, to be able to talk, to act with that image or images. So, so basically this is like in tune, uh, it, it's showing, it's proposing to look at photography as if it was kind of a performance also. And that is very much in tune with looking at the protest as a performance. So there are like lots of actions here and many actors. So that's why I would say it's not so much about that single iconic image that we all look for, but rather, you know, the activity and the way we treat people and the way you know we use images and uh, if if we come back if we are still part of something after it's gone or finished so of course that opens up the discussion about the role of photographer if he or she is an activist or if he is something someone more than just a person with a camera and that again leads us to a discussion about the objectivity you know uh which i think is a myth in photography in general so i think this goes a bit against the traditional the romantic vision of photography of white men going to all these places to bring their vision of the world and and being the people behind they portray and so on. But Azulay also proposes another term and she says photography is a civil contract and she takes it from her case, the case study. She is from Israel and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is something that she's been looking at since forever. So she says in, in the civil contract, the parties are equal. And there's this understanding and this assumption that no one is better. We come together to agree on something and then we try our best to fulfill, you know, these disagreement. That also comes from something she had uh, researched in Palestine and in the early years of Israel, you know, communities would like come together and agree how they're going to live on one land. And there were like no strong authorities behind them. But leaving that aside, in the civil contract, one of the, let's say, result of applying that filter to photography is to perceive everybody also as equal. So let's say, you know, we very often look at the pictures of some minority groups or people who've been persecuted, hurt, they're weaker, uh, we're told, and they're like, they, they bear certain names, like they're refugees, they are stateless, and so on. Which is all true, but in the same time, it's what we were told not through the photography on, only. This is the kind of approach that we have. So in the Palestine, we are told like these people, the Palestinians, they, are, they just don't own the state. They're the weaker part. But if we recognize them as the citizens, the equal citizens of the, the land that is there, that might somehow, I don't know, emancipate them also. That's also the problem with representation. I often feel, you know, mm -hmm. that's portraying people as a certain category, let's say refugees. I met you when you were just publishing your, your book, uh, when we lie down, grasses grow from us. And you, I feel like you talk about similar things there. You, you talk about immigration, you talk about your own personal experience, but I feel like since that time you moved, I feel like you became less interested in the photograph as an object. I feel like this book, it's a very beautiful book with um, very poetic images, but I feel something changed after this book. Could you tell me something about this? Uh, I, I think it's a very good uh, observation <laughs> and I also felt that way, but um... The book was published after several years of, of, of work and actually living in India. 
And it's, I think, always like this, you know, we are different people sometimes when we start uh, with something, you know, and then after a decade, you know, we're somewhere else artistically and also as people, but there's this word that is there and maybe it's probably not always, but sometimes it has to be somehow framed and, and maybe published just to move on and close the chapter. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, like that back then, you know, that this has uh, really shaped my, a big part of my life being in India and experiencing everything over there. And I also realized this long process from excitement and treating India as I think every photographer would being excited with everything you see basically out there on the street and it's so inviting and it's so different and so on it's very naive obviously uh, and that process ended with me being like just uh, kind of stuck at home with a lot of anxiety and and feeling you know that i really don't belong here and i did not manage uh, to somehow become part of it. I failed, you know, and there was a lot of like sense, there was the sense of, yeah, failure, I think. So that was a very valid uh, realization. And that's why this work seemed valid. Like, even mm -hmm. if I'm leaving this right now and I'm not going back to that topic and that way of portraying things, you know, I still need to acknowledge, like, this is how, this is how it worked over there. I, I do also... I want to believe that there are things that really connect all these projects I've been working on. And if I could name one thing that I guess that would be migration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I imagine probably the experience of being an immigrant somewhere caused more sensitivity towards that later on. I think we all experience that in, uh, in in different ways and mm -hmm. obviously i can't say that i feel what other people feel because migration can be a terrible thing uh, but i'm trying to look uh, at these like traces and, and little traumas of migration through generations because i think they are very much there also in my family who came from ukraine to the post-german region of poland and there's a lot of losing and getting lost and changing houses and abandoning and like moving into something that is not yours and living with your enemies and so on and so on and i'm looking at that from this epigenetical perspective, how much of that trauma is still in the family. Mm -hmm. And since my family is not the exception, there were millions of people who went through that. So like, what kind of society are we today? Uh, why can't we acknowledge what happened to us and like feel empathy or have any understanding to people who migrate today you know so i'm researching that and i'm looking at that because you know i think that it's somehow honest to to look at your own experience you know the reason for that and the goal is to be critical towards your own home i would say towards your own society your community and then maybe as a result think differently about migration today could you also tell me something about the archive of public protests? So I looked up the, the project and I would be interested to hear more. Yes, um, it's an initiative started by Rafał Milak, my colleague and my friend from uh, Sputnik Photos. And um, when I started my uh, PhD, I thought what he's doing is a great case study. And I was just watching how it's growing. and. Um, you know, he photographed some protests already in the 2016, I think. And this little archive of, of his was growing. And at some point he decided to invite more photographers to do it like kind of together under the umbrella of this, this archive. And I mentioned Rafał Drozdowski, the sociologist before, and I think this very much responds to that need and the origin call for documenting things that are happening outside the, uh, you know, documentation and archiving of injustice, but also just like civic activity. And since I didn't see myself as a photographer in this group, and since he wanted me to be part of it at some point, because it was just growing, 
I decided to somehow contribute with something that I was already doing at the university, just just maybe analyzing some some of these phenomena and then writing and then, you know, also collecting some material for the newspaper, the strike newspaper that we first published last year. And then two more issues were published this year and we're waiting for the for the fourth one now so 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 that's my role over there but yeah there are 17 photographers at the moment in the archive and it's a very informal group so there's not like any legal body it was kind of started under it or within the structure of sputnik photos because we needed funds to to start the website and so on and now there are photographers uh, these photographers work in different towns and cities across the country so we are somehow also getting I hope like a, a, a more complex or a wider spectrum of what's happening. There's a very interesting thing about archive because it's not just a website. It's a newspaper, like you mentioned, but I think this newspaper has an interesting function. It's not just like a photographic publication. That was something we had to really think of and come up with some ways of using this archive. Because just collecting the images and uploading them to the website is this one great thing that you can do, I think, and very important. But then, uh, you know, there's a, a way to do something with these images. And that's something I'm also interested. How do you use them? Basically, the usage of, of images is something that's like very important. So we thought that the newspaper is something like very analog, something very physical, a paper that you touch and, and, you know, something that is an object basically. Yes. Cheap in production. And it can be circulated easily. And it's also something that gets damaged easily. So we thought of, of this because giving these images back to the, let's say, not only the public, but mainly the protesters giving them the images and slogans that they can use at the protest where they can just open the newspaper and hold it and that expresses something and and they can hang it put it on the wall or in the window which is something that they actually did and that was amazing to observe that it was it was like this thing in the hands of the of the people right there at the on the street when they like start using it and it was a very performative addition to the to the archive <laughs> hello yes. yeah I, I have three cats in a moment which is quite crazy but he's sniffing the microphone amazing hi hi is it a boy it's a boy yeah <laughs> mostly these ginger cats are boys uh yeah i've read somewhere that only only boys get ginger and it's very rare that the girls get ginger it's very strange yeah yeah and the three colors are mainly uh, females. Yeah, that's interesting. But then I read mm -hmm. somewhere that he doesn't know that he's red. <laughs> Maybe that's good. Maybe that's good. You know. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about the protests. And yeah, I think it was amazing probably to see these photographs becoming something in hands of the people and yeah. actually hanging in the windows and being used in a protest. So no, I think it was a very, very interesting work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like we're just like, so great. <laughs> like we came up with the best <laughs> things, but uh, it's a lot of work that doesn't really pay because the, the, the newspaper is free and we just deliver this through our channels and we like drive somewhere. How did you distribute that? One of our partners was Benz Izmiana, this uh, like foundation and a shop which just sends it for free all over Europe. People just pay for the shipping, just really very little. And then we did crowdfunding also to print them. And then every photographer would like load the car with some copies and drive from Warsaw to whatever they live and where they reside. And they would put them in some places like some cafes, you know, sometimes like culture institutions. But we also delivered them at the protest itself, just handing that thing in to the people which was a funny thing because it's like, you know, people get suspicious whenever you stand on the street and want to give them something for free. But uh, yeah, it was, it was like a very direct action, you know, very easy. Mm. 
No, I think it's so great to do something with photography rather than just producing images. So I was I was really impressed. Uh, I have mm -hmm. this one more question around photojournalism because so you basically um, in this archive you also collect the images of from the protest, which is of course a very important mm -hmm. documentary role. But I'm also interested: how can photojournalism change the world? Change things in the world. I think there's a lot of discussion in photography about whether photography can change the world. Can it actually change something? Can it change somebody's life? And I know it's a big question. It's so big that I would probably have to answer yes and no, or it depends, mm -hmm. uh, which is not uh, <laughs> probably what people want to hear. You know, if we think of like a very literal understanding or meaning of these words that are in the question can we change the world i would say no you know if people cannot change the world then why would images be able to do that mm -hmm. uh even if they're super powerful and they're very present and they're everywhere and we very often make our choices or you know we form our opinions based on images so obviously they play a huge role so I would maybe try to say if, if that like satisfies anybody that, you know, maybe they, they, they might change the way we see the world or the way we, mm -hmm. we perceive it. But when I say change, I mean both like for good and bad. And we got to remember that. Obviously, there's this romantic expectation, you know, from photography and photographers to do change for good, change us for better and so on. But uh, it might change in, in many directions. But like Azulay says, this is like the, the event of photography is an open event. You never know what's going to happen in some time. We're never really sure about the full impact of a photography because it, in, with time it might change. And you mentioned in, in your questions about the image of Alan Kurdi, and actually there was a lot of research on, on, on that image. Alan Kurdi uh, is this uh, little boy that was found dead on the beach, mm -hmm. Turkey, when he was trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea with his family. Mm -hmm. And it became, became a symbol of refugee crisis. It did. That was 2015. And, you know, many newspapers, many outlets, they run that photograph on the cover. And it was a viral picture. And many comments and the strongest said that, you know, if this image is not going to change the way we act or help refugees or the way we treat the so-called refugee crisis, then nothing's going to change that, you know, because people associated a great meaning an expectation to that picture. And in that moment, when it's happening, we are like, wow, yes, this is, this is outrageous. But uh, the life goes on and the next refugees get on the boat and they die. And there are just thousands and thousands of people that died in the Mediterranean Sea since then. Not all of them were photographed. Not all of them were framed in a way that could become viral. And there were actually many very similar photographs from different parts of the world. Also from the, let's say, the Mediterranean Sea, but also from the Rohingya refugee crisis and from, you know, from attempts to get into the United States, also like crossing rivers. So nothing, you know, you might say that nothing has changed, although that one picture in that one moment did spark a lot of initiatives and, and funds, you know, that started flowing and temporary changes in the migration policies in, in different places. So you said before, can this image change the life of someone? Then I would say, yeah, maybe it did change the life of somebody because maybe that person used that exception and got into some country that she or he was like really wanting to go so is this a life change probably maybe yes and do we want to like bargain you know further and say like okay but this is not the world it's just one person i mean for this person is the world that's that's like everything so it's a it's a semantic discussion sometimes but there are, obviously, there are, you know, examples of like how some images really impact 
us as a society. If it's like from the archive, then it's the example of uh, Rafał Milak's uh, picture of Bianca and Volisa. Mm, that's very interesting. Means um, the word, the, the Polish word Negro, mm -hmm. and there's so much discussion about this mm -hmm. by white Polish people who say there was never any colonialism and why would we care about like what black person thinks, mm -hmm. you know, about this word. But in the end, I mean, this is not the end, obviously, but it's like after, after some time, the Polish language council, which is this body who gives opinion, but it's a prestigious body, you know, and they did say that this word, it has a negative meaning. Use it as a historical quote, but not to name someone like that. And that, that happened because of that photograph. I'm pretty sure that was the process. Maybe would get to that point sometime in the future. Maybe something else would trigger that. But in this case, it was all about that image. But I think in general, there are more dead hopes you know, about images that we very much think this image, that's the ultimate portrayal of something. And, and this, whatever is happening here, it has to change, you know, but it usually doesn't. I guess it was a, it was a great example of how photography started a discussion. Then suddenly people started talking about that. And I remember even that became kind of like a thing you would talk on the parties, which is kind of funny, white people mm -hmm. sitting there drinking beer and discussing whether this word is okay or not <laughs> yes i mean this is what it's all about i mean of course we can say like hey this image is good you know like aesthetically great shot right it's a good frame everything is fine but we were not discussing really that image we were discussing the problem mm -hmm. and that's that's great uh, that we take a photograph as a pretext to trigger, to fight over something. And that's, I think, something we could aim at if we are in, you know, this kind of photography. But again, I don't very much believe in these divisions anymore, you know, that if you're a photojournalist, stay away from this and that, you know, there are like many artists in our archive or just activists, or we also get to see a lot of images from protests from like amateurs. It's really not important how you, you know, pay your bills. Or how you classify yourself. Are you more of a photojournalist or more of an artist or in between? I think this, these categories are slowly starting to die out. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's been like this for some time. It's all fluid and, and mixing. And I don't think we should cry over, over that. It's... Um, it's a good, you know, uh, topic for uh, like a first year, let's say, documentary photography class, you know, to like look at these examples, like, hey, photojournalists like can show in galleries, you know, and, you know, like artists can go to the protest and, and, and you know, photograph it. So, uh, so yeah, this, this has been happening, but what I'm more uh, concerned about is how, you know, some photojournalists bring up this objectivity paradigm into the discussion and i very much believe that we as photographers or artists have always been just almost like any other profession just political people we are part of the political system we're part of the political society we are women or we are part of some minority mm -hmm. Or we are even from Eastern Europe versus somewhere else. And we, we pay taxes and our children go to private or public kindergartens. All these factors make us and turn us into these political elements of the society. And there's no way we can aim for being objective. Mm -hmm. Where is the objective media? Like every media you can associate with some thoughts. Even if you say something is liberal, I mean, then it's liberal. How is it objective, you know? And I wouldn't say objectivity is, is a thing to aspire to. No. Uh, and it's not the recent years. Or it's not the photographers, activists who are, let's say, spoiling the situation and, and, and you know, like breaking the standards. It's been like that for a long time. We just don't want to acknowledge that. For a long time, there have been this reportage, like a writing reportage that Kapuściński represents, for example. You know, that has been like um, their 
since decades, you know, that you actually mm-hmm. express yourself through through the text yeah. somehow because there's no other way. So and, and we're we embrace that and we like kind of know this this has happened. And still we expect something else from the photography, which is just just um, an illusion, I think. Mm. I think that's a great place to end, even though even though I feel like there's so many more things I would like to talk to you about. We've been talking for exactly an hour, which is quite a long time. (laughs) Yeah, this is so much work for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't worry about that. So thank you, Karina, so much. I think it was so smart and eloquent and and I'm really happy with this conversation. Thank you. I wouldn't be myself if I said, I'm sorry, if I maybe said some, uh, you know, I, I, I went into the field that is not my uh, expertise and maybe said something stupid, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry for that. If I did that. <laughs> I don't think you did, but that's great. Thank you for having Thank you. me. Dear listener, Thank you for listening to this episode of Photography and Society, the podcast. In the beginning of the podcast, you've heard an image description. The image that was described is Carolina's image. It is part of her project shortlisted by PH Museum, Seven Sisters, a story about Northeast region in India. I chose this image because it instantly made me think about the theme of persons and structures and how societies impose them on us from the very young age. You can take a look at the image on our Instagram and Undisciplining Photography Symposium website. This is the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll tune in for the next one. You can follow Undisciplining Photography Symposium Instagram account to stay up to date. For now, thank you for listening and hopefully hear you soon. The team of Photography and Society, the podcast, would like to thank Ben Smith, our supervisor, Echo the Dolphin and Julia Koch, who designed all the music parts and the Department of Photography and Society of the Royal Academy of Art in The Hague. If you want to know more about the topic of this episode, please visit the platform where you found us for more info. Photography Society